I really recommend anyone listening, if you've had discouraging experiences, I failed like 40 times. <laughs> like I, it was so unsuccessful in pitching. Yeah, I had to revisit so many things. I completely doubted myself. You know, it wasn't just like a golden streak. That was the result of me failing a million times, learning so much more, finding first believers and improving and polishing on every part. I would say female founders are made of tougher stuff because we've usually needed to fight all the way through to traction and it's not jargon or it's not a star power a lot of the time. <laughs> Hi, I am Sophie Vaux and this is the Rise and Play podcast. In the show, I sit down with influential thought leaders of the gaming industry to deconstruct how they create the best team and company cultures in order to create the best games. Every episode brings actionable insight to improve your leadership, self-awareness, and emotional management skills. Because becoming a better leader starts with becoming a better human. So, are you ready to unlock your full potential in life and business? Let's begin. This episode has been brought to you by our sponsor, Appadeal an all-in-one growth platform for mobile app creators of any size. While you have probably heard about Appadeal as a mediation solution, it has already expanded into much more than that. Appadeal unlocks access to a new generation of advanced business intelligence tools, including LTV forecasting, user acquisition and creative automation, and of course, the mediation platform that can work out of the box or be managed manually. Being one of the very few independent platforms left in the market, Appadeal delivers unbiased solutions for mobile app creators to establish and scale their businesses rapidly. Sign up at appadeal.com. So today I have with me as a guest, Lauren Clinic. So before we start a bit more about Lauren, Lauren is the CEO and co-founder at Lumi Interactive, an Australian female-founded mobile game studio focused on games that make the world a kinder place. With a focus on social connection and well-being, the latest title, Kinder World, is in development for iOS and Android for a global release in late 2022. Hey, Lauren, how are you today? Hello, Sophie. I am great. It's five in the afternoon in Australian time and spring has just begun. So my chickens are very loud in the outside, but I think I've got them quiet enough now. <laughs> great. I say the morning here and actually uh, for you, it's end of the day. You are my first Australian guest actually in the podcast. Oh, that is absolutely lovely. Many things to celebrate as being the first. And let's begin by talking about you receiving investment round and developing further your project is, I believe, the most exciting things. Or is there something else you'd like to share to start the conversation? It's very interesting because when you are a founder, once you've achieved something, that really just becomes your new standard. The sparkle can wear off. But I will say that the seed investment and being able to get that together and what it's meant for the company has been definitely very exciting for me, definitely a big career highlight. We received the funding itself in May and we announced the news in June. So it's a really big secret to sit on top of for a long time. I would say that it's very personally exciting, but what's getting me really excited every day is that we've gone from a really small team of three with some contractors at the start of this year. And as of today, the team is 17. And I'm really proud of how we've managed to have a really exciting, warm 
purpose-focused culture that we've still managed to keep, even though the team has grown so much and it's half in Australia, half in the US and one person in New Zealand. So waking up on Slack and seeing all of the great updates from the Americans, the Australians taking over and everyone just celebrating the wins. And you can, because I think it's a great story and achievement. I'm so excited to talk to you today and have this interview. We worked here with our team at Vodou on Plantopia, the planned games, and we were also looking very closely at your game. And I was really like, wow, there's so much intention into this game because we are also a lot into plants, you know, like a lot of educational design, things to learn, and also very relaxing. So I was really happy to read the news about project going forward, the team growing, and that you get to develop the game you dream about. And so my question next is more of a background about Lumi Interactive. Can you tell more about your mission and how you started with this particular game, Candle World? Absolutely. So if we go into the Wayback Machine, before I was in the games industry, I focused on learning everything I could about marketing and distributions. But I definitely found that games had this very beautiful relationship between the cutting edge of technology and the cutting edge of creativity. And that's really where the most dynamic, rule-breaking marketing could happen. So I was very drawn to the industry from that perspective. I ended up co-founding a consultancy that was focused on marketing and PR for game developers in the Asia-Pacific region to learn everything I could down to the ground about game development, about personas, about targeting, distribution, media training, what was happening with influencers, relationships with stores. Like, how do you get your message out there? How do you position what you're trying to make and find the right people to go and experience it? That was a really exciting and great formative experience for me for five years. Eventually, I had a previous co-founder depart the company once we were focusing on mobile free-to-play games for women with a mental well-being focus. And with this, we were really starting to find what our purpose was. We had gone through the pandemic. I'd had this like co-worker relationship breakdown that was really, really difficult. The team was very worn out. We were wondering if we'd need to shut down the company. We'd had to cancel prototypes and things like that. And as a classic founder story, it was very dark days. We really didn't know what was going to happen. So we sat down and said, look, as a last hurrah, let's have a game jam together for four weeks. I really wanted to understand what was happening with the subculture of plants. As a marketer, I love to look at new emerging subcultures because to me, that's a signal that there is some unmet emotional need. So I really wanted to make something to examine why have houseplants become more popular over the pandemic and why is it a mental well-being experience? My co-founder, Christina, who's our absolutely genius CTO and currently our chief product officer. She really wanted to have a look at making a growth algorithm. So something that would mirror the natural growth of plants and suit different species and grow in stages and be unique every time. And then Mandy, who was acting as the designer and art lead for us when we were a lovely little trio back in the day, was really interested in what's the feeling of a sunny afternoon? What is a cozy space? What is a ghibli, blonde wood, warm lighting, lush kind of indoor jungle kind of a vibe as an art direction? And would people prefer a plant that, you know, had a face and you could customize it or personify it a little bit? 
We had all of these goals when we came together to prototype. Once we'd prototyped, I was showing it in different social spheres and doing Facebook click tests, and it was very positive. And I'd never seen something that was just at a concept phase of saying, this is a self-care houseplant game, or it's a houseplant game to help you do mental well-being activities. People were so excited about that, especially women that were 25 to 35. And a lot of people talked to us about, headspace and calm not working for them and for them wanting something that was social and snack sized and didn't feel like homework and get them out of bed, so to speak, to do a little mental well-being activity. So we took it to crowdfunding. That was really successful. I wanted to double check and they do have this interest, but could I ever monetize it? And so that was a really good green flag for me. So we got a safe and initial investment with our first believers at the end of that year. And then everything with our traction and what we were seeing, the trends, the market gap and the signs of product market fit meant that I went ahead with pitching for a larger significant seed raise as well. Because we do have this mission to make the world a kinder place. I want to spend my time eight hours a day or more doing something that improves the world and improves myself through making it. And a lot of the team really feels the same way. I'm making it sound like a simple story because, of course, Every founder, it's good to be able to convey the narrative, but we failed plenty of times. I had working relationships that broke down. I had pitching that didn't work. So as much as we raised a seed round at a very good time before we've come into a lot of talk of recession and investment slowdown, there still is the iceberg effect of like that's at the top, but then there's a whole lot of experience, trying, failing. If you're not winning, you're learning (laughs) kind of situation. That's a great background story and gives me also a lot of insights on how you started. I love that you come from the marketing point of view because I think sometimes we miss a bit this angle when we think of a game concept, thinking too much in the concept, but not so much oriented to market, consumer trends and audience. That during pandemic especially, Plants have been uh, some savior for many homes, right? Uh, giving some life at home. And why is that? There are a lot of benefits and virtues about having plants, like its calming effect and so on. So bringing this into the game and this knowledge, like not just on a game level, but what I hear as well, like the intention in creating this emotion experience that you can feel with actual plants or this feeling of coziness, but also like the growth algorithm that you thought about, which I find amazing. It's really a lot of intention and deep thoughts into the game design. And I love this about how you approach the game. I can see why it's resonating so well with an audience that care about those things and are looking for emotion, experiences, and who love plants as well. So a great example of how you can approach not only company, but a product with a really strong alignment between your purpose and message through the game. Absolutely. It's one of those very common lessons that I went through when we were doing marketing and PR consulting, where we would talk to developers that were in pre-production, trying to figure out which prototype to go ahead with. And we'd sit down and talk with them to say, don't think about the ingredients, but think about the flavor, you know, because that's what forms the memory. If you say that you love competitive games, let's think a bit more emotionally about that. Do you love the flow state? Do you love the focus? Do you love the mastery involved? Think about it a little bit more emotionally rather than just at an ingredients level, because sometimes designers will say, well, 
they know what they want to design from a genre perspective, but we like to think a lot about, well, what's the emotional purpose? What's that desired emotional state of the player? And it's a subtle difference, but I think it can be very helpful when people are trying to think about what am I trying to make? Who am I trying to make it for? And why will they care? Yeah. It is also much more tangible and concrete to think about the emotions you want to create instead of just pure game design, abstract ideas, right? So it creates a common language as well when you work with artists, designers, like what are you trying to create at the end of the day? Many, many good thoughts here in terms of design and product. And something that also, of course, catches my attention because I wish that it was not so rare, but it is a full female founded company. And I'm curious how you came together as a team. Could you walk us through the journey of co-founders? Absolutely. So the co-founder relationship is a very close one and it's a professional one, but it's intimate in the way that you'll go through a lot together. So you'll have all the high highs, you'll have all the low lows. And so when you're looking for co-founders, the kind of person where, you know, you could stay up all night just talking, you know, it fills your cup when you get to plotting together and having ideas. And do you have a few shared values, but do you also have key differences? And do you have strengths in different areas? And are you excited about a similar future together? All of these things are really important when you have a look at co-founders. What I saw in Christina was someone who was really technically brilliant, a really fantastic manager, trained as a technical producer, but also had qualifications in engineering, interested in data analytics, and someone whose curiosity was just so substantial. And the curiosity had really driven so many different moves in her career in terms of the extra training, the extra qualifications, the career moves that she made. And she was always interested in what came next. And it was never really just relying on the status quo and the way that things are now or saying, I just want to make a better version of this game. You know, she always wants something that is so outside of the box. And we both find that really interesting. But even then, while we had that, you know, Christina is a person of color. She's got a migrant background. She's Chinese Australian. When you're a person of color, it's another compounding factor that can make it really difficult when you're raising capital. And it's a very subconscious thing. I would really say there are not many investors in the space that are consciously trying to exclude you, but they're not realizing that there actually are invisible and subtle things that they don't realize in terms of the way that they view you, the way that you view the opportunity, especially when you're a female founder that prioritizes women consumers and prioritizes experiences that aren't the kind of things that they find cool. So something that we had as advice super early is that An investor is going to back you because of one of three things, or maybe you've got a combination. One of them is definitely star power. So your ex-Riot, ex-King, ex-Voodoo, it's a well-known thing, or you're an award-winning developer. The next one is cool factor. So are you touching on keywords that are really buzzy? So, you know, is it crypto? Is it NFT? Is it metaverse? You know, and do they want a bit of coverage in terms of what you're offering? So there's that sort of cool factor. Then the third factor is just traction. Do you just have indication or results that make them go, okay, maybe this is a real thing. This is actually starting to work. We had been warned that women basically never make it on cool factor and almost never make it on the star power because a lot of the time 
we aren't the technical director at Riot or Jam City and things like that. So we knew that it would have to be traction. Even so, we still tried to raise when we had a small demo and when we were saying, this is what the trend is, this is what the opportunity is, and we're trying to raise pre-seed. When we had that, we definitely found that as female founders, we had a lot of more conservative concerns. Instead of thinking about the opportunity, there was a lot of thinking about the risks. And I found that when there were other male-led teams that were getting pre-seed funding, I would ask them what questions. They're just like, they just wanted to talk about how big the opportunity was. Whereas we got questions about like, well, how qualified are you in design? Like, are you actually technical enough? And Christina's got a master's in engineering. I don't know what they want me to say, you know? So there would be a bit of a doubt that we would be as heavy hitting or as ambitious or as focused or that we were as experienced as we actually were. There's more than 25 years of experience just with like myself and my co-founder. So for us to go through that, it was very discouraging I actually had like sexually inappropriate comments while pitching, which, you know, is so shocking when I talk about it to male founders, but everyone who's not male is like, oh yeah, I had comments about my clothes or I had things like that happen. And once I talked about that on Twitter, about how little that made me feel and how embarrassed I was and how it really upset my confidence when I was trying to do such an ambitious and confidence requiring thing. The industry actually responded really well to that. I had some really amazing people reach out to me to say, I want to be a friendly pitch target for you. I'd love to give you feedback. I'd love to help you rebuild your confidence. And one of those people ended up being Emily Greer, who ended up being one of our angel investors and a really impactful co-founder for me to look up to. What she has achieved is just absolutely incredible. So having a look for the believers and if you're speaking to investors and they're just not getting it, don't worry about it. Just move on. It doesn't mean you have to keep selling so hard to that person because if that person is doubting or not understanding or not excited about what you're talking about, they're actually not going to offer you anything more than money. And it's really hard to have a mindset when you really need money, but actually you need money plus thought partnership. You need money plus trust. You need money plus introductions and resources. There's actually lots of different ways to address the money problem. And it's much worse if you've got someone on the cap table that actually isn't, you know, in it with their whole heart. So, and it was really hard to go through several times where there would be a woman that we would pitch to or someone who's non-binary or someone in the queer community or someone who's a person of color that's like, I get this. And then when we talk to their boss, the boss is like, how do mobile games make money again? Or no, I think there's a problem because the session length is really short and things like that. So, and we also just break a lot of rules. It's fine if someone's not for you, but it can be hard when it feels like, well, is anyone for me, you know, as a founder? So I really recommend anyone listening. If you've had discouraging experiences, I failed like 40 times. <laughs> like I, it was so unsuccessful in pitching. Yeah, I had to revisit so many things. I completely doubted myself. You know, it wasn't just like a golden streak. One Once we opened the pitching for the seed raise that we did, that was the result of me failing a million times, learning so much more, finding first believers and improving and polishing on every part, but also just having a more matured product. So it really did have to be traction for us. And we really weren't able to really raise much pre-seed at all. So I would say female founders are made of tougher stuff because we've usually needed to 
fight all the way through to traction and it's not jargon or it's not a star power a lot of the time. <laughs> That's a great testimonial that you're sharing here and I think very important for our listeners. So thanks, first of all, like to share this personal journey. And it's sad to see that, you know, the few ones that make it, when you ask how they made it and you see all the hurdles, like, wow, that's a double challenge. Also, being on the investor side and working with you, this is, there's one reality that you are really like here sharing. First, there's the composition of the people who evaluate the pitch. And this reality is not going away so soon where how conscious are the investors or the teams evaluating the pitch to understand even the depth of what you're presenting, right? I love that you are also like structuring the profile of teams that are being founded. And it's true. I've been on the other side as investor, but it's the same games that everyone plays, right? So when they are investing, especially for big capital, they want to have some guarantee, science predictability, I would even say, that this idea is going to generate 10x <laughs> in the future, which is quite big. And we know that quite few make it one out of 10 uh, statistically. And so it doesn't sound like you are going for this or this is your purpose, right? It could be a result, but this is not your purpose. And I wonder, not compromising with your purpose, your mission, how you are growing the company. Of course, you can align on financial goals, but you are not like chasing the unicorn that many VCs are after. So how was the process for you to find the partner that would follow you in your mission? I don't want to say that it's a good thing that we're going into a recession, but when you're going into some more conservative capital situations and companies are doing layoffs and things like that, there is a little bit less of that growth at every cost mindset. I do think we're going to come into an age of authenticity an age of traction, an age of focusing on results, and a lot more scrutiny for what is the substance of what you're offering? What is the substance of the results that you get? I do think we will see companies grow more slowly. We've actually grown from three to 17 in a year, but it's not like I'm going from three to 200. And I think we've seen a lot of the layoffs recently happening when people say, the conditions were frothy and we really overdid it. Now we need to reduce by 20. So I'm in a good position where we are almost the fresh new layers of the rainforest and we're not the really large trees that can fall very heavy and find it very difficult to adjust, you know, in stormy weather, if I can labor the metaphor a little bit. So it's almost a benefit for me. I do think that our sort of company and our sort of purpose is a reflection of the times. So people looking for meaning, people looking for purpose, people looking to heal some real struggles that they've had, it's very on trend. It's a growing need. It's something that my team needs. A lot of our players are people that are you know, living with ADHD or they're on the spectrum or living with significant anxiety or long COVID or chronic pain that find that passive meditational mindfulness experiences to be very uncomfortable. But the incentive and the social and the call and response that you get from a game experience where it is interactive and it is personalized helps them show up for themselves a lot more. And so for us, it was important to only accept investors that were excited about it in a very genuine way, not to say, I think this is going to make so much money, but actually this could have a really positive effect on the whole industry. This could have a positive effect on a lot of people. I would be proud to say that I've supported a company like this. 
So there's more benefits to backing us than just commercial. That said, we have seen that whether it's Headspace or Calm or other explorations of mental well-being and technology coming together, those are really urgent issues. And consumers do spend hundreds of dollars a year on trying to achieve well-being or trying to ameliorate anxiety or issues that they have. So there is a really big opportunity and it was very important for us to say we're a team that's experienced in monetization. We have really strong retention. We're showing that there's a very large total addressable market. This can be worth a lot of money. We think that our super secret powers are X, Y, and Z. But then having thought partners that are like, this company should happen. We do think that it's a company that can be successful, become large, really improve the world, move into different regions, and there's a lot of opportunities, but also I'm proud to be a part of it. Keeping on pitching until we found that sort of investor was definitely very important and something that I would recommend for other founders too. And it shows with perseverance and again, like keeping the clarity of your mission, because at the end of the day, like you said, do it for the right reasons, right? So I think here persevering, until you find the proper partner, which you have found, and to go with more serenity to the next steps. I think it's very important. And I would say even like your responsibility as founders to stay true to why you're here. And now as well, curious about the next steps for your company, like after all this excitement and like a bit more run rate for the future, what are your next steps, your plans with the team or the game? Could you tell us more? Absolutely. So something that we are finding to be a fun, tricky challenge is definitely recruiting developers, which a lot of people are, you know, NFTs and crypto took a lot of developers out into different spaces. And we're seeing a bit of a period of investments happening, regeneration happening, hiring happening, and the hiring being more international because of the acceptance of remote. It's made quality talent, especially with programmers, especially with Unity, free-to-play and mobile experience, really tricky. But also a lot of developers do come from a more traditional, homogenous, masculine background. And so we've had weird times where developers have said, I'm not sure, this might be like too feminine of a workplace. And we're like, I don't really know what you mean by that. <laughs> you know, we've had surprising reactions and surprising questions because the team is women-led. We have got a lot of women, non-binary folks on the staff, staff members that are living with chronic illness, living with disability, like different diverse backgrounds. And everyone's like, oh, it's so hard to get diversity. And I'm just like, I guess I got all of it first. You know, we're getting a lot of people that are coming to us to say, I've worked on shooters for all my life. I'm looking for something really different. I'm looking for purpose. I've been looking for a product like this and I'd like to work on something like this and it's made a really big difference. So for us, we're getting our last few hires for the year in place. We're focusing really closely with Kinder World to pinpoint specific different parts. So we've just released a significant update that added more different monetization options. We'll release updates that do A-B testing to improve our tutorial because we want to lift our day one. We will be adding virality features so that players will have incentives to share and bring others into the game to unlock cute little Hoya plants and different, you know, mutations and rare colors for the Hoya plant. So Every one of our updates is so exciting for us to release, but we're very systematic and aiming for quite a tight two-week release cycle as well for updates because you just want to learn and just experiment as quickly as you can. It's also a question of figuring out acquisition and marketing. We had a lot of early success with TikTok for organic discovery, but now TikTok and other channels are also 
changing the algorithm, trying to focus on their own monetization and prioritizing those that are always paying. So we're also looking at what can we do short term and long term to do unusual, unexpected, exciting things for organic acquisition, but also fixing and addressing paid acquisition. And everybody's been dealing with the the iOS privacy changes. So it's a wild west for marketers out there for sure. It's good that you mentioned it because indeed, I think coming back from Gamescom, That was kind of the theme of a conversation, like we won't do acquisition the same way we used to do and we need to change our way. What does that mean? Even like a type of games, because you cannot just rebrand the marketing of your game, selling it as another thing, while your games, of course, reflect something else. The game is also marketing, right? So there's really a strong alignment, once again, around the idea, the message of the game, and how to bring the essence of what the game is about through marketing. And do you have some ideas there, or do you see some challenges still to tackle Yes, it's very interesting because with a lot of companies, the co-founders are often like a designer and a developer, or maybe two technical people or an artist and a designer, and then hire a CTO. It's quite rare that the co-founder mix looks like marketing and biz dev and you know technical and developer. That's an unusual mix. And so for us, the company team is almost half-half marketing and production. So we are really like marketing is product and product is marketing. These teams need to work very closely together. They need to understand what are the activations, what are the milestones, why are we making certain decisions? Because you don't want the marketing to not reflect the product and you don't want the product to not make the most of the marketing that's happening. So we try and keep the team very close. We have quote unquote messy thinking sessions where everybody's got input on design, everyone's got input on features. It's always clear who owns the decision. But we don't leave anyone on the table. Like everybody is free to have an impact on the product as long as you're sure on where the accountability and end responsibility comes from so that it's not game development by committee because we don't think that that delivers a great product either. But what marketing can discover can help product make better decisions and make more informed decisions and vice versa. Marketing is not about lying. It's not about tricking anyone. It's always about setting really good expectations with a really good message that reaches the right people and that those people, you know, will talk to each other about it. There's so many things that can show signs of really good marketing health. And with marketing, you either win, you've succeeded, you've fulfilled the hypothesis, whatever you've made works, or you're just learning. If marketing doesn't work, don't see it as an entire failure. Just be like, I want to think about why this didn't work and break it down a bit more. Was it the messaging? Was it the visuals? And I would really encourage a lot of people to involve marketing and market research into pre-production, into the really early stages to say, who is the persona that we're making it for? What other games do they probably like? What's on their TikTok for you page? You know, how do they spend their time? What are some likely hobbies that they have? What are some creators that they probably like? Because if you can get someone that just urgently wants and needs your product, that's the only way that you can cut through the noise. Because if you make something that is only mildly interesting to someone, that's just not good enough in this day and age. We're all very, very distracted. We're all very burned out. We don't want more products. We don't want more experiences. So your message on what is it, who is it for, what benefit will it have is more important than ever. So just give marketing some love. It can help you discover why others will love your product and what you can love about the product as well. Having a more marketing focus with the knowledge you have, 
definitely a competitive edge, especially given the current context. And it's visible in the game, right? It has very strong product vision, product positioning. It's clear what it is about. And I think the knowledge you have to rethink of how to acquire players, I think it's going to be interesting to see different practices instead of it's just pure performance marketing that we've experienced the past years. Absolutely. And we definitely love and respect performance marketing because, you know, what results you get from performance marketing can help you understand totally new taglines, totally new keywords, new visuals, some ideas for redesigning your icon. You can learn so much from paid marketing, but it's almost like streaming services where now there's so many different channels for paid and some channels are waning, some are coming up, some of them are changing. It's a very fragile quicksand kind of a space. As a marketing team, you really need to not depend on just one thing. So not just influencer marketing, not just SEO, not just paid marketing, but to really have a blend as much as possible and experiment constantly and try and be a first mover on more unusual or unexpected channels or unexpected ways. We definitely found going to TikTok very early, even though it was so cringy for me, you know, as a (laughs) woman in her 30s to be on TikTok and, and I'm not a performer, I'm not a theater kid, but going to TikTok to try and say, this is our story. This is the game we're trying to make. This is the backstory of this NPC dog character. What plan should we add into the game? It will keep you in conversation with your players all the time. And I think a lot of the time game development, it's hidden in the back of the fridge for like way too long. Whereas the earliest version you can have and you start to share it with players and you get their input, you'll be surprised. Like, oh, actually they respond to this word. They respond to this visual. They've given me a totally new idea about how to think about this. And you can save yourself a lot of time. So I think fast movers will be rewarded. Lots of experimentation will be rewarded. Keeping close to players will definitely be rewarded and move with an idea of what your identity should be, but don't hold too tightly to what the specifics of the product or the specifics of the feature should be. Try and learn a lot of that from players. It goes deeper than basically talking to them to say, what features do you like in a game? But more like, if I'm comparing this feature or that feature, which one of these feels the most exciting for you? Or can you tell me more about your favorite feature in Animal Crossing? For us, people talking about the favorite feature in Animal Crossing being decorating a space really led to a lot of the way that we've approached decorating a room, you know, as a relaxing space in the game as well. So there's so much to learn and players can really teach you a lot. One part you mentioned about the community, definitely being close to the players, having this loop of feedback, because in the end, you're shaping the game with a, a certain demand, right? So be understanding around the well-being, the experience, you know, of plants, a calming experience, how it is experienced, and then calibrate it if it's not delivering as you've envisioned. And my follow-up question is also on the product because I read somewhere when you were public with a round you got as well, the positioning of a game differentiating itself from other apps. So I think this is where it's interesting because it's an overlap of games and app where could you get some health benefits, well-being through a game slash app compared to other apps like Calm or Headspace? And the promise, if I remember correctly, as I read, that you would go beyond this, what an app, you know, deliver even more in the experience in an interactive way. So what's your vision around this and why do you believe as a game kind of world could bring even further this value of well-being compared to other traditional well-being apps? 
Absolutely. There's actually something significant that we learned with a prototype that didn't work out previously. So we had a prototype that was around body positivity and acceptance. So people would be getting facts or information about body positivity and body acceptance and a suggested activity. Players really liked it conceptually, but we found that the completion rate of the activities was very low. So where the activity was given to them and shared with them, they would be like, oh, that's very interesting, but there isn't really something to help complete the habit loop. What we did was we mocked up doing this in a social setting where people would have an activity given to them as a group and everybody would complete the activity and share the completion of the activity. When we did that, we saw a 75% increase in the completion because people were like, wow, I've been really inspired by seeing how this other woman completed that activity. I feel a little bit of not like a negative kind of pressure, but I want to contribute. And this is a reminder that other people are struggling like I am and that I can help by sharing my experience. That was a really key learning. Even though the prototype itself was not something we continued, we've started to think about this concept of crowd healing where something of almost being in like a retreat-like experience where you know that there are other people working on this. There are other people that are struggling in similar ways, but they're wishing you well. They want you to succeed in this and they're encouraging you and they're sending encouraging messages, but you experience it totally differently to say something like social media or, you know, direct chat or direct messages. We're really looking at crowd healing being this idea that, Only in a living, breathing game world where there is collaboration, where there is some social features, where there's personalization, where there's incentives, you know, and treats and celebration and something has a lore and a world that you are helping to nourish and, you know, reforest almost by growing these plants, that actually makes a really big cognition difference for people that are looking to complete something with mental well-being, giving it a bit more depth, a bit more ease, a bit more juiciness and satisfaction than something that can feel like homework, like Headspace or Calm, which is primarily a very solo experience and something where there isn't the accountability or group share and group celebration or a personalized experience. It's the same if I do Headspace, than if you do Headspace as well. So we see this concept of crowd healing and how that influences our design as being a really big part about why this can make a big habit difference for people. And that's what we're getting with people's reviews as well to say, I showed up for the houseplants, but I stuck around because I realized that you know, looking after my plant was helping me with grief because I was able to name my emotions. And with our emotional naming activity, that will give you different colored sand to put into a terrarium and that you let it go at the end of each week. But it makes a very beautiful pattern and things like that. And people to say, oh, like, I felt really anxious this week, but I feel like I can sit more comfortably with my feelings and I don't see it as negative because, you know, the colored sand made a really beautiful purple succulent. So just helping people rethink their consideration on how they treat themselves. Also saying that this is a place where you can show up to help other people. Because if I open up Headspace or Calm, I can't really access ways to support or encourage or give gifts to others. But in Kinder World, we've had a lot of success by saying that, If you buy one of these collaboration artist pots that we use to really showcase different artist talents that we really love and respect their work, if you purchase that pot, a copy of it will be given to a random player and you just give a nice note with that pot that you give. 
Like, oh, I just hope this makes you smile. I hope you also think that this dog is really cute and you don't know who it is and you don't hear anything about the person opening it. You're just like, oh, I just did a nice thing. People actually really love doing that. I think we've seen that a lot in the pandemic that the opportunity to give back is actually missing in a whole lot of games. And the question of apps versus games, our end users actually just mix their language all the time. They just want the experience. They don't really care if it gets labeled as a game or an app, especially when our target audience is not a core competitive kind of gamer. So we are able to bypass a lot of that having baggage in the minds of players. But when we say that we want to go deeper, we want it to be an experience that helps players live and show up for the rest of their life in a better, fresher way not really to distract, not really to have like immersion and escapism. You know, we do love games that offer that, but something that is like, ah, this was the way to start my day and now I'll go forth. And we do see that our kind of world players primarily have a session in the morning and a session at night and the play sessions aren't long. And the lack of burden and the lack of there being any way that plants can die, we're seeing that that has a really positive impact on the retention and the players are comfortable to just be like, I'll just always keep this on my phone. It's just always a nice experience. Super interesting features. And I think, again, you're creating a new level of experience here from what you described, where this interaction of the benefits of what you have in the game in real life and also the social connections especially low moments, depression, where the power of community, having testimonials is very helpful in the whole world of mental health, where if you know you're not alone, it's very powerful and connecting and getting to action. So a lot of benefits I could see on how the game is developing and understanding even more the power of games because of the interactivity and, you know, the whole playful part. So that's great to achieve this. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the evolution of the game. Thank you so much. We really, really appreciate it. Honestly, the interest and the support of other game developers and the player community has just been really, really excellent and it's very, very appreciated. I should make a note that the game is actually available in early access on Google and on iOS right now. It's completely free, so anyone can download it and check it out. We'd love people's thoughts and feedback and we're hoping to hit our own KPIs for a potential global quote-unquote full release later this year. But in the meantime, the game is available, there's lots of features, a lot more coming, and we'd love people's thoughts and feedback. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I'll make sure to link everything about the game in the episode notes because I want also this to thrive, succeed. And we're reaching also the end of our conversation. And last question is more of reflection for you. I would say you've achieved success with the game already so far that you've produced, but also getting some backing from financial partners. What is next for you, you know, and what would you call it as your personal success, you know, your end game going forward? Success for me really does look like feeling proud about the integrity and the impact that my work has made, that I developed as a person making it, you know, that I've come out a better, stronger, more resilient person potentially, because you do learn so much about yourself once you have ambition and you have goals and you go for it and you experience failing and picking yourself up many, many times. There's been a lot of privilege. There's been a lot of support behind the scenes that I'm so, 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 so thankful for. There have been really hard days and then there have been absolutely gorgeous 
solstice and celebratory days. Being in pandemic has made it hard to celebrate sometimes. So success also looks like spending time with my team that I just love so much and I love to serve them, to offer them a safe and positive workplace where all of us can do our most purposeful, most satisfying work of our lives, even though we've got the backdrop of a very terrifying world. I would say that's what success looks like to me. I don't think you can hold so tightly to a really specific commercial outcome. That said, I do love to see problems get solved, growth get captured, to see new opportunities get pursued. And we definitely want to have a look at how we can expand into different regions and how we can reach a lot more players and reach enough people so that we can make the world a kind of place so that we go from the 135,000 downloads that we've had to 13 million, 130 million, like the scope of what we want to achieve is really large and keep finding people along the way that are really excited by that mission. Like I said, you've got to be careful of just raising your own expectations. So for my team, we love to have champagne every now and again. Our release came out. We moved into an office. We made a new hire. Like we love to celebrate and try and have as much, you know, satisfaction and the serenity in the moment, even though it's such a wild roller coaster being a founder. But waking up and being like, even a bad day in my job and in my situation is still the best job I've ever had. So there's a lot of satisfaction and purpose going on. Just listening to you for a whole conversation today, I can say you're really living your company and your mission. Like it's through you, through your product. And it's amazing to see like such an alignment on all of this. Like this is really what I feel from the conversation today. I think it's great that your company and yourself are so mission oriented and value oriented, but also at the same time ambitious. Sometimes we think they are mutually exclusive and you're the testament of it where of course, you want to have impact and commercial proof of this impact because at the end of the day, people pay for what they value. And when there's a demand, it will show in financial results. And I love this beautiful mix you have here, business oriented, but also like a lot of heart, a lot of values. So thanks a lot for your time today, the conversation, inspiration. And I'm sure a lot of what you share today will hopefully inspire a lot of female founded company, but also purpose-driven companies and to persevere in their path. It's my absolute pleasure. And I always make time, especially on my Mondays, to talk to other underrepresented founders. So anyone who's got thoughts, questions, they'd like some pitch deck feedback, like anything that I can do, please feel free. Anyone can reach me on LinkedIn. Lumi Interactive is our website. I would just love to connect with more of you. And thank you so much for the platform for your audience. I think the questions and the explorations that you do in this show are just fantastic. So I'm so happy to be a part of it. Thanks a lot, Lauren. And that's very kind with the help you offer for future founders. Thanks a lot and take care. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of the Rise and Play podcast. I am trying to grow a community of conscious leaders across the industry and beyond. So if you want to join this movement, please share the podcast with other conscious leaders because we have so much more we can learn from each other. Also, Please don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss out on future content. Every episode is packed with actionable insights that will help you improve your leadership skills now. And if you are interested in learning more on the topics that we discussed today, you can find more insights on riseandplay.io and there you will also find my free masterclass on conscious leadership. So have a great week and until the next time.